The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 130 Elijah Sends Word Keep those gates shut, King Jehoram commanded. Do those Syrians think I am that stupid? I know what they're planning. As soon as we open the gates to get the food, they will jump out of their hiding places and attack. Even though the city of Samaria was starving, Jehoram wasn't willing to trust that God had provided the miracle Elisha had promised. But what if the Syrians really have left? One officer asked. It won't take long for the food to start spoiling in this heat. At least let us go and check, he suggested. If it is a trap, you will know it when we don't return. At worst, you will lose a couple of horses that wouldn't provide even a bite of food for all these hungry people. Jehoram consented, and the two scouts quietly left the city to spy out the Syrians. When they came to the camp, they found it completely abandoned. But it was easy to see where the Syrians had disappeared to. It was impossible to miss the mass of tracks and discarded debris the Syrians had dropped as they fled. The scouts followed the tracks for several miles without finding a single Syrian soldier. When Jehoram heard the news, much of the city was already verging on a tumult. Word had spread that the Syrians were gone and that they had left behind mounds of food and riches. Hungry people were clamoring to get out of the city. God struggled to maintain order. Jehoram quickly sent word to one of his royal advisors to open the gates. It happened to be the man who had spoken disrespectfully to Elisha and mockingly made fun of God. Wanting to be seen by the people as the man who opened the gates so they could have food, the advisor personally went down to supervise its opening. He marched to the front of the gate and, in a majestic voice, gave the order to open them. As soon as the massive doors started to move, people began to push and shove to the front. Soon it turned into a ruckus as famished people surged toward the heavy gates in their rush to get out. The advisor shouted for people to back up, but it was too late. In his haste to get out of the crowd's way, he tripped and fell. Thousands of feet trampled him into a lifeless mass, thus fulfilling Elisha's prophecy that the advisor would see the food, but he would not get to eat any of it. There was great rejoicing in the city that night. There was so much plunder and food to go around that people were selling it for a tiny fraction of its previous cost. Another of Elijah's predictions had come true.
Although the citizens of Samaria had food provided to them by God's miracle, the rest of Israel still suffered from a food shortage. The whole country was plagued by a severe drought that would last for seven years. Because of these terrible conditions, Elisha advised some of the people who came to him for advice to emigrate elsewhere. One such person was the Shunammite woman whose son God had resurrected. Because Elisha knew how long the drought would last, he told her not to return until the seven years were up. After seven years passed, the Shunammite woman returned from the land of the Philistines, which was located to the west of Israel along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. At this point in history, the Philistines were no longer a threat to Israel, and Israelites commonly passed back and forth through their territory. But when the Shunammite woman returned with her son, she was shocked. Squatters had moved onto her property and claimed it as their own. This house and land belongs to us now, they said. Just try and take it back and see where it will get you. Why don't you go back to wherever you came from? The Shunammite woman had no choice but to take the matter to the king. It was the king's job to settle these types of disputes, but getting an audience could be difficult and time-consuming. If a king was unjust or too busy, a person might never be able to have his case heard. As the Shunammite woman traveled to the king's residence, she wondered if she would be allowed to see the king. Will he even bother with someone without power or money, she thought. But she had followed Elisha's instructions when she left Israel due to the drought. She had gone to him for counsel, so she had faith that somehow God would make it right. When she had come to the outskirts of the city, she was shocked to see the king standing outside the gates. She knew this was her opportunity to get his attention, so she cried out to him. To her delight, she recognized the man standing next to the king. It was Gehazi, Elisha's former servant, who was with Elisha when God resurrected her son. Gehazi now had leprosy and lepers were not allowed inside the city, so that was probably why the king had come out to talk to him. I can hardly believe it is you, Gehazi excitedly exclaimed when he saw the woman. What fantastic timing! I was just telling the king about you. He turned back to the king and said, This is the woman whose son Elisha raised from the dead. Ask her for yourself if the story is true. King Jehoram had just been asking Gehazi about all the amazing miracles Elisha had done. After Jehoram patiently listened to the woman's trouble, he was moved to help her. It was a miracle that Gehazi was at that very instant visiting the king. Had the king not been made aware of the lady's friendship with Elisha, he may not have decided to help her. King Jehoram sent his men to evict the people who had moved onto the Shunammite woman's property. He then commanded that they pay her all the money they had made using her land while she was gone. Once again, 
This woman's faith was rewarded. She thanked God for the blessings he freely gives to those who trust him. After the Syrian army's flight out of Israel, Benadad, the king of Syria, became ill. Perhaps the shock of his defeat was too much for him to bear. His health deteriorated until he was on the edge of death. One day, news arrived that Elisha had come to Syria. Benadad was well aware of the miracles Elisha had performed over the years. He suspected that this prophet probably had something to do with his latest defeat, but he thought that perhaps Elisha could heal him. Benadad called for his trusted royal advisor, Hazael, who was also next in line for the throne. Take 40 camels and load them with treasures and delicacies from the royal storehouses, he said. Go meet Elisha and ask him if I will recover from this disease. But remember to give him the presents first before you ask him about me. When Hazael reached Elisha, the prophet was surprised by all the presents Benadad had sent him. After he learned that Benadad was deathly ill, however, he was less impressed. Wealth and money mean less to people when they believe they are dying. My master asked whether he will live or die, Hazael asked the prophet. God has shown me that he will not die of his disease, Elisha replied. But something else will cause his death. Hazael was perplexed by Elisha's answer. Thoughts raced through his mind. Since he was next in line for the throne, he was disheartened that Benadad would recover. But Elisha had also said Benadad would die from something else, although the prophet hadn't said when. Just then, Hazael noticed that Elisha was staring at him directly in his eyes. Their eyes locked. They stared at each other until suddenly Elisha turned away. <laughs> Losing his composure, shielding his eyes with his hands and weeping. What's wrong? Hazael asked in a startled voice. It was odd to see a grown man cry for seemingly no reason. God has shown me the great evil you will do to Israel, Elisha said as he struggled to compose himself. You will burn our cities. Young men will be scared. Children will be thrown to their death, and pregnant women will be ripped apart with swords. All this you will do. Hazael was shocked. What kind of dog do you think I am that I would do such a thing? He demanded. Elisha replied simply, You will be king of Syria. This too God has shown me. 
God's prophet turned around and left without even a thought for the forty camels and everything they were carrying. When Hazael returned to the palace, he went directly to Benadad. What did Elisha say? inquired the weak king. Good news. Elisha said that this disease will not kill you, Hazael replied. He never mentioned the rest of the prophecy. That night, the king drifted into a peaceful sleep, secure in the knowledge that his disease was not fatal. Yet just hours later, the evil Hazael crept back into the king's chambers. The king awoke to a man forcefully covering his mouth and nose with a wet towel. But because of his weakened state, he was unable to fight him off or call for help. Thus, Hazael became the next king of Syria. It wouldn't be long before the rest of Elisha's prophecy about the horrible things he would do to Israel would come true. It was about this time that King Jehoshaphat in Judah died. The king had seven sons, the oldest of whom was named Jehoram, the same name as the king of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king of Judah. Jehoshaphat had unwisely allowed Jehoram to marry Athaliah, one of the sisters of King Jehoram of Israel. Perhaps Jehoshaphat thought this would be an opportunity to reunite the two kingdoms. But Athaliah didn't worship the true God. She followed after Baal like her father Ahab and her mother Jezebel had. She influenced her husband to institute idol worship in Judah and even encouraged the Jews to adopt this pagan practice. This shows how important it is to carefully choose who you marry because that person will be a big influence on you. Jehoram became so evil that if God hadn't promised David that a descendant of his would always sit on his throne, he probably would have wiped out Judah then and there. Before Jehoshaphat died, he had made each of his other six sons governors over regions in Judah, other loyal subjects he appointed to prominent positions. Because of all the changes Jehoram was making in Judah, he made enemies. Not all the people supported the new direction he took the nation. Jehoram became suspicious of all those who questioned his actions. Just four years after becoming king, he sent assassins and paid killers to murder each of his six brothers along with many of his father's old supporters and princes of Judah. Jehoram would tolerate no dissent. Jehoram's ruthlessness and disobedience to God brought many curses on the land. It wasn't long before the Edomites, who had been loyal to Jehoram's father, 
rebelled against him. For 150 years, the Edomites had paid tribute to the kings of Judah. But now, because of Jehoram's actions, they became Judah's enemies. Jehoram was furious. He gathered his army, both his foot soldiers and chariots, and advanced into the rugged territory south and east of the Dead Sea. The Edomites gathered their forces and defended themselves, but they were routed by Jehoram's army. King Jehoram's forces marched back to Jerusalem victorious, but it wasn't a true victory. The Edomites still refused to send tribute. From that day on, they refused to submit to Judah. A huge area of Judah's influence was lost. Seeing Edom's relative success, the city-state of Libna revolted next. It too would no longer submit to Jehoram or pay tribute. Jehoram didn't take any further action to regain these territories. His power over the land was weakening and God was cursing the nation. One day, while Jehoram was sulking about his recent setbacks, a courier arrived with a strange letter. Not all correspondents would make it through to the king to read, but this one came from a special person. I think you will want to look at this one yourself, the court secretary said. Jehoram glanced down at the scroll. It began. To Jehoram, king of Judah, from Elijah the prophet. Elijah? He blurted. I thought that old prophet had disappeared years ago. Wasn't he supposedly taken up into a whirlwind or something? This should be interesting. To Jehoram's horror, he read. This is what the eternal, the god of your ancestor David says. You have not followed the good example of your father, Jehoshaphat, or your grandfather, King Asa of Judah. Instead, you have been as evil as the kings of Israel. You have led the people of Jerusalem and Judah to worship idols, just as King Ahab did in Israel. You have even killed your own brothers, men who were better than you. So now, God is going to strike you, your children, your wives, and all that is yours will suffer misery. Terrible sickness will come upon the land. Your wealth too will be stolen. You yourself will suffer a severe intestinal disease that will get worse each day until your bowels and intestines become so infected that they come pouring out. Then you will die. Jehoram was infuriated. How dare he threaten me like that? I am the king, he shouted. Still, 
Though Jehoram scoffed at the letter, from that day on, its warning plagued his mind. Sometime later, when news reached him that the Philistines were marching into Judah, Jehoram couldn't help but wonder if this had something to do with Elijah's letter. The Philistines hadn't been a problem for Judah for generations. Then, as he was trying to decide if he should send out his army to repel them, news arrived that an army of Arabians was sweeping into Judah from the south. Jehoram didn't know what to do, so he did nothing. To Jehoram's horror, the purpose of the Philistine and Arabian armies quickly became evident. Just hours later, both armies appeared outside the walls of Jerusalem. Completely surrounding it, they were obviously working together. Because Jehoram had not suspected this, the city was unprepared for an attack. He did not suspect they would march directly on Jerusalem, ignoring the rest of the country. It took too long to close the city gates. Foreign soldiers poured into the city. The ill-equipped city defenders were mowed down. Confusion and panic spread throughout the city, terrified. And thinking only about Elijah's letter, Jehoram fled without even trying to defend the city. When the people saw him go, the limited defense faltered and the city was quickly overrun. But the Arabians were not about to let Jehoram off so easily. A great chase ensued. As Jehoram and his royal entourage tried to escape, Arabians on fast stallions rode down on Jehoram's party. Screams erupted as they captured his wives and children one by one. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.